This is the Course of Action Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Clark. My debut book, Hear These Truths, The Ultimate Guide to Building Your Leadership Algorithm, is available now wherever books are sold. Check it out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and for signed copies, go to jeffclarkofficial.com and get in touch. Don't forget to follow on social media, leave a five-star review for the book, and hit that subscribe button for the latest episode notifications. And as always, enjoy the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to Course of Action Podcast. We are cooking tonight, not literally, but we do have a corporate executive chef with us here on the show, uh, Chef Drew Ward. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, appreciate it. Uh, you having you, you come on. I know you're in a hotel room right now, but I appreciate you taking out the time. And uh, we're going to talk food and, and who you are and what is a corporate executive chef and what exactly you do. Uh, for those maybe aspiring chefs out there, you get a little tidbit of information about how, you know, Chef Ward here uh, climb up through the ranks and what he's doing right now. But let's first talk about um, your veteran. Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, served in the army for a couple of years. What'd you do in the army? I was uh, ammunition specialist. So I worked for, I was in fourth ID, 110 Cav. Um, we had an air cavalry. So I was out running FARPs, hauling ammo, all the fun stuff. Okay. Okay. But before you joined the army, um, you were into cooking before you joined. Yeah, I did the uh, high school McDonald's job, cooked on weekends, um, you know, just had a bunch of fun. All my a lot of friends, football players, my best friend worked there. So we just, it was basically just a fun time for us. And uh, <clears throat> went to college for a very brief stint and decided that wasn't really my gig. Um, came back home, started working in another restaurant. And, you know, I was 20 ish. And my dad was like, you know, what, what are you doing, man? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just having fun. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. What am I supposed to do at 20? <laughs> yeah. Making like $8 an hour having a party. What? <laughs> <laughs> and uh my dad was a veteran so he was like you know what i think i think you need a uniform and i, and I had talked about it even in high school i talked recruiters and stuff so decided all right let's do it you know so joined the army and uh first thing the recruiter says like you want to cook i was like no man i'm never cooking again i'm done with that <laughs> you know so famous last words um about a year in you know it was kind of Kind of thinking like, man, I miss being in restaurants. I love the army, had a blast, but just something about being in restaurants and being around food is just obviously it's my passion. It's what I love to do. So kind of kept calling me back. So when I hit that point of re-enlist or not re-enlist, um, I, I literally signed the paperwork to not re-enlist two weeks before 9-11. Wow. Um, then that hit. So then I was at the big debate, right? Now I'm like, I got to stay in. I can't get out. And you know, our history over the years and wars at that point were pretty quick. Um, so I talked to my sergeant and he'd been in 18, 19 years at that point. Had never went anywhere. I mean, stationed at the place that missed all, didn't go to the Gulf, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, look, man, if you're going to get out, still just get out. This thing will be over quick. It won't even matter. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Yeah. Sorry. Got out. And, you know, still regret that decision to an extent, but um, so there it was. So got out and decided, all right, what am I going to do? So went to culinary school. So it's nice. So 
you know, yeah, obviously, you know, kind of crazy timing to, you know, get out of the military. Of course, you know, if you would have stayed in, there's a very good chance you would have been in for a lot longer because, you know, Afghanistan war lasted 20 years. Right. But, um, cool. And the way it worked out, it gave you the opportunity to go to culinary school. And then you turned around now, something I think people don't understand about culinary school is that you don't graduate, just become a chef. You start, no. start running a kitchen, you're Gordon Ramsay doing your thing. Um, it doesn't work like that. You got to kind of pay your dues first, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, really it's, it's probably a little bit of the fault of a lot of people that end up going to culinary school is they have that image in their head. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to hit it and go. Right. And, you know, prior to culinary school, I lived in Louisiana for a while and kind of worked my way into, I was in a small little mom and pops restaurant and they're like, Hey, you know, you're doing a great job. You want to run the kitchen for us? Cause you know, you can tell you care. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was just reading recipes, reading cookbooks, whatever I could figure out, you know? And so I get to culinary school and I moved, I went to New York city to the French culinary Institute and I start going around to restaurants trying to get a job while I'm in school. And they're like, yeah, you have no experience. I'm like, well, I mean, I was running the kitchen. They're like, no, you have nothing. <laughs> you <mean> nothing. <laughs> so even, even, you know, I remember talking to a kid in my class. Um, Cause I was, I was 26 at that point as he was too. And I was working in a restaurant making $10 an hour working six nights a week while going to school during the day. And he's like, yeah, but as soon as we graduate, man, we'll start making a lot of money. I'm like, no, we won't. I was like, cause all those guys over there working the line that have been working it for 10 years, we can't touch them. <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And he was just like, what? I thought, I thought when we graduated, it's like, no, I mean, no, it helps get your foot in the door, but that's about it. You still got to work from the bottom up. So, and I got lucky. I ended up with a great mentor. His name was Craig Koketsu. Um, my first job in New York, I ended up working for him for five years and worked from line cook up to exec sous chef to chef de cuisine under him, which was really cool. So, so are are those big fancy kitchens like are they really as cutthroat as tv makes them look some of them definitely can be for sure um i have worked in some pretty high intense pressure places um probably my so quick quick little story my worst moment 100 percent of cooking um i was working so i had a night job after i graduated culinary school i worked six nights a week and i took a morning job where I worked five days a week. So I basically had, I was working a total of seven days a week, really. I had like Friday night and Saturday morning off. That was kind of my my 24 hours off. Ouch. And so I start working this morning job and it's like two days of training and boom, you're on your own, right? And it was super fine dining. You know, New York Times, four stars as high as you can go. We were three stars. Um, so a lot of pressure. My first morning alone, they're like, oh, by the way, it's also your responsibility to make family meal for everybody, for all the kitchen staff. So I'm like, all right. So I'm going and I, I hit that point where I realize something's got to give. Either I'm not making family meal or I'm not getting set up. What's it going to be? So I go upstairs to the chef and I was like, hey, listen, um, I need some help. I can't I can't get this done. He's like, hey, it's OK. You should drive me nuts, too, because he would only call me Andrew. And he's like, it's OK, Andrew. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Just stand right here a second. All right. So he calls the whole kitchen. Everybody, come here, come here. Stop what you're doing. Hey, uh, Andrew can't handle setting up a station and making family meal. So you guys all have to stop what you're doing and pick up his slack because he can't handle it. So we'll just take care of it for him. And you know, I felt about that big at the moment. 
and wow, really, uh, that was a big, big eye opener. So I went to work to my other job that night to where the guy that was my mentor, Craig, and I went to him and I was like, this can never happen to me again. So you tell me, what do I need to do? And what was cool about him, the reason I've always respected him so much is he was a hard driver. He wanted perfection, but he would take the time and he literally sat down with me and was like, all right, write down all the stuff you have to do in the morning. All right, let's break it down into segments. How can you get this done? Let's figure it out. And, you know, this wasn't even for his kitchen. This is somebody else's kitchen. So he helped me get it done. And funny enough, the chef who singled me out, uh, we I never really knew him after that, but we have connected recently on Instagram. And uh, I told him, I was like, dude, I got to tell you, man, I, I really hated you for a long time. And he was like, you know, he has like no recollection of it. And he's like, whatever I did, it was to make you better. And and he's not wrong because it did. It totally put another gear into me that I didn't know I had and made me focus way more than I ever had and realized, hey, I'm not the best at this. I'm going to have to work harder than a lot of people and got me to where I am, really. So I always wondered if like some of the stuff you see on TV really is that demanding, that high intensity, or if it's a little bit of TV pizzazz. But I mean, I could see in a high scale restaurant, like you don't have time for mistakes. Like, and when there's high expectations of a restaurant and of the food and it becomes more of an art than it is like a serving, you know, um, I could see where the demands get that high. I just kind of wondered like, man, are they really eating their own? Like that's some military stuff right in there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's what it used to, it used to make me laugh. Cause people would say like, Hey man, you know, you gotta be ready. Cause chefs are going to yell at you. And I'm like, bro, I went through basic training. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> you can only yell at me so much. So. So, um, graduate culinary school, you school start working uh, a couple different jobs, um, really grinding it out. When did you get like that first break where you're like, okay, now it's starting to kind of pay off. Yeah. So I was working the two jobs and I'd been at the first one, my night job, it was the Manhattan Ocean Club. I'd been there for about a year and we had a sous chef quit like abruptly in November, kind of crazy. And my now wife, she was my girlfriend at the time and I'm telling her about it. And she's like, I was like, man, I'd love to have that position. And she's like, well, go ask for it. I'm like, I can't, I can't just go ask for it. She's like, yeah, you can go ask for it. So I went to the chef and I'm like, Hey, I want that position. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah. And he said, you know, I considered you for it, but I didn't think you would leave the other job too, but you really want it. And I'm like, yeah. So I got it. And that was my first, you know, moved into salary from there. Um, wasn't much of a salary, but it was a salary. It was better than $10 an hour. Um, went down to one job, which was nice. And at that moment, you know, it really was, that was probably a really tough time to a lot of, uh, taking on the chin leadership lessons because I had been in that kitchen for one year and all the guys that had been teaching me everything on the line, they'd been there for like 15 years. Mm. Now, granted, most of them had no desire to move up from there. Right. But still, the moment yeah. I got promoted, it was. It oh, changes the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mr. Fancy oh, yeah, Pants yeah. here. Yes. Yeah, one, one, yes, chef. <laughs> yeah. One guy would call me traitor every time I walked in. I'm like, come on, man. Like two days ago, we were working right beside each other. And I mean, you know, they tested me. There was a lot of, you know, I remember in the army, it used to be when you got promoted, they would send you to a different unit so that you didn't have to kind of deal with that. When I got promoted in the army, I still stayed in my unit. So I got to deal with that a little bit. And then same thing happened there. And, you know, it took a couple months of them really trying to test me and me just 
pretty much showing them, look, you're not, you're not going to change anything. So, and then when they respect over, you know, I'm a big believer of, I will show you, I will outwork you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything I can't do. And, yeah. you know, it pays off. So, so let's kind of break it down a little bit because, um, most people probably don't understand how a kitchen really works. Like what's the rank structure? Like you're a corporate executive chef. You oversee a whole bunch of different places, but let's go down to just the one place, the one restaurant, the one kitchen. What is kind of like the rank structure? So typical, typical restaurant, you'll have the executive chef. They run the kitchen. Um, If it's a, you know, it's a one, one restaurant company, that chef's making the, the recipes he's writing the menu he's doing his thing um under the chef two maybe three maybe one sous chef um sous chef will pretty much your second in charge they're gonna do when you're not there they're gonna make sure everything's right or when you are there you know they're gonna you're kind of overseeing the whole thing they're really more in the line making sure everybody's doing what they should and then you know it kind of varies from there a lot of restaurants will do what they call a tournant or a lead line um lead line cook who will be kind of your stud who can do everything a manager can, but maybe they don't want to be a manager. Or maybe they're not quite ready to hit that, le- that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got your line cooks and then there's a pecking order in that, you know, if, if somebody works saute, they're kind of the badass, right? If they're, they work a grill uh, in a steakhouse, if they're the steak broiler guy, that's, that's the, that's the one. Um, and then you got your salads, so on and so forth. And then you go down to prep and then you got dishwashers. Um, so, you know, perfect world, you hire some dishwashers, you teach them, they kind of move up and you keep expanding your kitchen that way. And then your line cooks move to sous chefs one day and sous chefs become exec chefs. So. So what's it like being a corporate executive chef? It's, it's pretty awesome. Got to say, um, I love it. You know, we have 12 tap rooms in our company. Um, so I write the menu for all 12 and I, I'll talk to the chefs. You know, I get their the local chefs in each tap room. I'll get their input. Um, sometimes they come up with ideas that I'm like, dude, those are awesome. We're going with them. Sometimes I'm like, no, nah, it's just not what we're shooting for this time. And they got to learn a little bit of what my parameters are. I got to learn a little bit what my boss's parameters are, you know? So it's really cool. in the fact that I have the ability to do this much creating, and it's also made me be way more disciplined in, I've always been a little bit of a fly from the hip when writing a recipe, but when you're writing it for, many locations you have to get exact. So definitely uh, it was a little learning curve and discipline on my own half, but you know, it's cool. We're in five different States. Um, so I get to travel, I get to open them. Uh, right now I'm in Buffalo. We just rolled out a new menu here this week. Um, so it's cool. I get to work with a lot of great people, teach a lot of people, which is, which is really cool that, you know, I've been very fortunate in my career to work for some amazing people in some amazing cities and not everybody had that experience. So I get to teach a lot, which I love to do. So you're corporate executive chef for artisanal brewing ventures. What all is under that umbrella? You said 12 different tap rooms, yep. five different states, and anything that we've heard of. Yeah, so we um, are basically a little like-minded group of breweries all came together under one. So Southern Tier Brewing out of upstate New York. Uh, Victory Brewing out of Philadelphia. Okay, know them. Six Point Brewing out of Brooklyn. And then we have one called Bold Rock Hard Cider, which is Virginia, North Carolina. Heard of that. So I think we are now, I want to say eighth, 
We're definitely top 10. I think we're hitting eighth or seventh now, largest brewery in the country. Really? Yeah. Wow. So crack brewery was. Yeah. That's um, really awesome. Yeah, it's been really cool. And when I mean, when I came in the company, I came in in 2018. I was hired to just open Charlotte, which was our sixth tap room. Um, kind of with the agreement with my boss of, hey, if you if you can do what you say you can do, you'll get the corporate chef job, basically, because um, that was my goal. And we opened June of 18. I think January of 19, I was promoted. Um, and we were the sixth location. And this year we're opening our 13th location. So. Wow. Which Where's the 13th cool. going to be? Uh, Brooklyn. It'll be our first first Brooklyn tap room. Six point. Uh, it's been around since like 2004 or seven, and they've just never had a tap room. They got a brewery, but they've never expanded in. And we were starting to do it pre-COVID, and then obviously COVID hit. So yeah. now we're back at it. Uh, we opened three new ones last year uh, of the other brands. So this will be our first six point we're opening. Awesome. Anyway, yeah. 14th can be here in Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going that far west, but we'll see. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> Those crap. are not my decisions to make. <laughs> uh, hey, you never know, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, the craft brewing scene here in Oklahoma really exploded. Like we had a little bit of a scene, um, but our alcohol laws were, you know, outdated. You know, this is the Bible Belt. This is. Bro, I um, live in North Carolina. I understand. You know, so <laughs> I think it was. Four, four, five years ago, um, they finally passed the laws and the ABLE Commission and all that kind of changed. And, you know, six-point beer, high-point beer became the standard. And and craft brewers really then had a lot more distribution options and, and room to grow. And it became a lot more of a craft brewery-friendly state. And now it's exploded. Like, at one point in time, I had been to the five or six breweries that we had. Now it's, it's up in the... I imagine thirties, forties, maybe even fifties and, um, really, really exploding. A lot of good food, a lot of good beers. Um, some of them have even, you know, branched out and are distributing to surrounding States. So, um, it's fun to go do those things. Um, do they ever get you to like weigh in on food versus beer? Uh, how do the pairings work? Or do you kind of, they kind of say, Hey, you need to pair something up to this beer. Uh, so, a lot of our recipes I'm using beer to cook with. So I incorporate it into our menus right off the bat. Um, so I use a lot of that, you know, they'll come out with new seasonal beers. I'll figure out how to get those in. We might run, you know, we have a new beer kicking off. We might run a, a week of features that are using that beer. Um, what's cool is sometimes the brewer, one of the brewers in Charlotte will come to me and say, Hey, can you try this? You know, we're kind of in the brewing process. See what you think. I'm like, yeah, free, free beer is always awesome. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So it's cool. You know, there's definitely a lot of collaboration throughout the company, which is, which is really fun. What's it like making a menu for all these different locations, you know, from North Carolina all the way up to, you know, New York and Brooklyn. Um, you know, I know it's East coast and East coast has kind of their own flavor of things, but I imagine it doesn't go universally that far of a distance. No, I would, I would say right now we're probably, 50 to 60% the same in each tap room and then a good 40% different. You know, I try to keep a lot of regional aspects. So Pittsburgh and Cleveland, you know, we're doing pierogies, we're doing, you know, some French fries on a sandwich or, or whatever it may be, you know, chicken paprikash. Um, in Philadelphia, we definitely tried to hit up a lot of the classic Philly type flavors, 
Buffalo, when we were opening up here, I did a ton of research on Buffalo. Um, turns out banana peppers are a huge thing in Buffalo. Okay. No idea. Um, stuffed banana peppers are like every menu that's a must have. So, you know, put those on the menu, made some cool banana pepper sauces for different things. Um, so to really try to find that, that regional aspect that we can use that gives you that local feel. And then, you know, we have a pretzel we make in house. We make our own pretzel everywhere. That's one that it's never going away. Um, you know, we have a fried chicken sandwich that super simple, but great. Uh, it's got a lot of steps behind it and that stays everywhere. And for me, that's, what's been really cool with this experience is I never imagined I'd work for a brewery when I was working in New York city and working at a Michelin starred restaurant, right. That was the furthest thing from my mind. Right. Um, but what's been really cool and I'm fortunate in this company that they, they see it the same way is obviously we want people to drink beer, right? That's we're a brewery. We're more than we are food. But for me, I get to, I get to really play and experiment, but I also get to take really fine dining techniques that I grew up in the kitchens with and learning. And how do you take those and make something like a fried chicken sandwich that Anybody that comes in is not going to, nobody's going to feel intimidated by it. They're like, oh, cool. Fried chicken sandwich, but can have layers of flavor and technique behind it that they won't even realize is there. They'll just know this is a great sandwich. Right. So. Well, some of the best food I've had has been at breweries, you know, and from a business standpoint, you know, being a business guy, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to run a business solely off of selling beer, especially if you don't have a distribution set up. And you're just selling it out of a tap room. I mean, that's not going to pay the bills necessarily long term. Plus, it's not going. It's going to be hard to bring that entertainment in. You're just a bar, you know. So you bring entertainment in. You bring food in. You bring activities, live music, and stuff like that. And then it's not just a brewery; it's a venue, and it yeah. just seems to kind of explode. And I, like I said, some of the best food I've had has been you know, from breweries, whether it was a food truck that they, you know, had sitting outside or they had their own kitchen and they did their own thing. And it kind of has that flavor, that, that ownership of the, of the meal, you know, this is our stuff we do in house. We make it here. Um, but let me ask you this, what is it like, um, kind of creating things from scratch? A lot of people would be really intimidated by that. Like I, I think of making things from scratch of following a menu card. You know, it's got flour, it's got sugar, it's got this and that, you batter it. But what is it like just staring at an empty plate and saying, you know, I've got to take this light beer with these flavor notes and I got to make something with that. And you try to fight stale creativity, you know, like there's only so many ways you can make shrimp tacos, you know, Um, but how do you just... Some of the best chefs in the world are the ones who say, I'm going to take this ingredient, I'm going to throw this at it, and I'm going to do something completely different. It's going to blow your mind. But it might just be a shrimp taco. You know, What's it like doing that, being creative in, in your way with food? You know, For me, it's just fun. And I think I've done it long enough now that – and I get asked this question a lot, like, you know, where do you come up with those ideas? And I'm like, man, they're just, there's just so many bouncing around in here. You know, um, But it, it was funny, this – spring summer menu that I just did for all the tap rooms. When I went to write the first one, it was, if I was a writer, I would call it writer's block. You know, it was just, it was like nothing was coming, just could not come with an idea. And a lot of times I'll type out a full menu, full description and everything before I've even made the dish. Right. I just start typing and I see the words and it's like, Oh, that flavor, this flavor, this ingredient would be great. 
based off seasonality, whatever, um, what I'm really in the mood for. And then I go in the kitchen and just make it until it's right. And I have this roasted tomato bruschetta with white beans in it. And that's my new app for the summer in all of our tap rooms. And it was like, I could not get anything. And then all of a sudden that clicked. I knew I wanted to use something with tomatoes. I've been in the mood for beans and it just kind of clicked as an easy appetizer. That would be fun to eat for people. And from that moment on, it was like the rest of the menu, just like, just like everything falling into place, almost like a puzzle. And, you know, I just, I think you're around it long enough. I remember being a young cook and asking my chef, like, how did you know those flavors are going to work together? Right. And he's like, he's like, because you do, you've done it long enough that, you know, these things always work together. And I was like, that's crazy. But now it's true. And now I'm at that point in my career that, you know, I just, I just know like, Oh, if I throw this and this, I know it's going to work. And believe me, there are times that I think that, and I'm like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> but I'm for sure, the most yeah. part, you know, for the most part, I know where I'm going with it. And, you know, you, you realize you have your style. Like I remember being a young cook and we would joke like, Oh, you know, the chef's going to use this ingredient. And now I hear the same jokes about me kind of, cause there's <laughs> certain things that I go to that make me, you know, my, my security blanket ingredients. So. Yeah. What is, what is your go-to dish? Oh man. It's hard to say. Uh, you know, if I'm cooking at home for my wife and kids, I, I love seafood. So we do a lot of seafood at the house. Uh, I worked in a lot of seafood restaurants coming up. You know, love a good bowl of ramen as well. Uh, I don't think I personally make a great ramen, but I just love to make it. Um, you know, for me, it's a lot of a lot of ton of vegetables, you know, good, good protein in there. And just if I'm doing scallops, something like that, I love it. Um, I love doing wintertime, some good, great braised meats, roasted chicken, those type things. But, you know, half of my recipes, I'm probably going to have fennel somewhere. That's like my favorite ingredient on earth. Um, love a lot of big, just punches of herbs and big flavors, you know, so that's kind of what I shoot for. I try to not to make stuff just so super heavy. And, you know, I feel like that breweries fall into that trap a lot of times because it's, just such a comfortable place that people just want to chill and drink beer. And you think, Oh, drink a beer. They want to eat something fried. And we have plenty of fried food. Don't get me wrong, but I try to find how do we make things lighter and not just so heavy and that anybody's going to want to come in and eat. Even somebody that doesn't necessarily drink craft beer. Right. We have right our breweries. We sell wine. We sell, we actually have our own spirits as well. So yeah, we do spirits. So I try to try to hit that menu to where, Whoever it is, they can't come in and say like, "Oh, I don't, eat, I don't eat brewery food because we're not typical brewery food." Yeah, well, and you know, craft beer can be filling as it is. You know, yeah, some yeah. of those heavy, hoppy, weeded beers, you know, they're they're filling. You know, um, a good stout is is a heavy beer. You know, and I'm a sucker for a good stout. If you put it in a barrel, in a whiskey barrel, and give it to me, I'll pay five thousand dollars for a glass of that. Yep. You know, that's. Right there. But um, going back to what you said um, about cooking at home, do you ever find it a struggle to cook at home since you've been cooking and doing that all day? Does cooking ever get to a point where it's a it's a labor and not a love? No, especially now, because now, you know, I don't I don't cook near as much as I used to because now I'm I'm, I'm in a desk a lot. Right? Yeah, you're the big dog. Out thing, right. Um, so for me on the weekends, I love to cook because. First, I love to cook for my wife and kids anyway, because it's just fun. Um, my kids are amazing eaters. They've been, they've never had the choice not to be really growing up. Um, my wife really appreciates great food. She's a great cook on her own, right? So I love the weekends. I just get to 
play and I'll run to the grocery store, come home and throw stuff together. And it's just, it's no pressure. It's just fun. So what's it like? Um, I don't mean to grill you about all this, um, but uh, I'm kind of, I've never talked to a chef before. So I kind of want to just know how the magic happens. Like how do you, how do you, how do you fight like in Philly? How do you fight? you know, those traditions in the East coast, big on seafood, you know, you go over to East coast, you kind of expect seafood. How do you fight the staleness? How do you fight from saying, ah, this is another Philly cheesesteak. Ah, this is another, you know, clam chowder or whatever it may be. Like, how do you fight those kind of stigmas and those stereotypes while still trying to throw a little something spicy at it? You know, it's, it's tough. There's, it's almost like you can go two ways. And at first I probably went the wrong direction. I was really trying to, you know, like our cheesesteak when we first opened Charlotte, we were cutting down ribeyes ourselves, and it, we were putting, we made a beer cheese and we had spicy peppers on it. And it was killer, killer cheesesteak. But people that came in to eat it would be and Charlotte, like nobody's from Charlotte. Everybody moved there from somewhere. It feels like, and <laughs> you know, people would say like, that's not a real Philly cheesesteak. And I'd say like, well, the menu doesn't say Philly. It just says cheesesteak. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and they're like, yeah, but it's not a real Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you kind of have to figure out that, all right, are we going to fight that battle or are we just going to come as best we can to making a traditional cheesesteak? So we went the route of how do we make just a traditional cheesesteak, make it great, great ingredients. You know, we use our beer and our cheese. How can we do it a little different? Um, and, and we got rewarded for it. People really appreciated it. You know, um, we do pizza at several locations. Um, how do you make pizza that everybody's had, right? Oh, you especially know, like New York. Right, how do, right. How do, so how do you, do you spell different. that? New- <laughs> yeah. So I do, um, we don't use water in our pizza. We use beer, straight beer and all the dough. You know, so right off the bat, we had a little, little something different. You know, um, I tend to go a lot of my cooking style in general is very classic with how do you turn the classics on its head a little bit, um, but still make people give that comfort feeling that they know what they're getting in there. And then there's a little pop of a surprise in there. Right. So, you know, the, our first dish, the first dish I wrote in the company when I came in, cause I was thinking, all right, brewery, what do people expect for whatever reason in my head, I had loaded potato skins. Um, I didn't want to do loaded potato skins, but I know people love them. Mm-hmm. So how do I, how do I do that? How do I change it? Right. So I made a, basically a scallop potato with a baking cream and they were like eight layers high, super paper thin potatoes. And then we pressed them overnight. We cut them into squares. We crisped them up and then we put our beer cheese down. We put bacon crumbles, we put scallions. And then you had these squares of super crispy eight layer high scallop potatoes. So you eat it and it's like, Oh, that's a load of potato skin, but so different at the same time. You know, you got the potato, you got the cheese, you got the bacon, but it's not the typical presentation. It's not the typical textures. So it's kind of finding that that little niche that you can slide into. Um, you know, so that's a lot of that. And then, you know, going into cities, certain cities like like Buffalo, they have, a, I mean, wings, right? We're coming up here and all people are saying to me is like, you better get the wings right. You better get the wings right. So I ate a lot of wings, man. I cooked a lot of wings and ate a lot of wings. Man, where, we where was that phone call? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I could have used the volunteers, trust me. Um, so I got it down to where like, all right, this is this is our wing. And and we've 
not heard any negatives. We've heard a lot of positives since we opened. People enjoy the wings, you know, and it's it's kind of so, that. What is the wing? I mean, we went pretty traditional, man. We're we're cooking them from from raw. We made a really old school wing buffalo sauce, or as in Buffalo, they say wing sauce, um, and just just really stuck to what it's supposed to be. We didn't try to do anything different with that. You know, I used to do some wings that we poached in beer, and then we cooled down, and then we fried that were really cool. And we've done those in other tap rooms, but I knew like you can't do it here because people want they want when they say wings, they know what they want, right? Right. So you kind some of that you got to give into, and then some of it you can say, all right, I know this is what you normally do, but we're going to try a little something different. See what you think. So it's it's definitely a balancing act. It's kind of like Texas. Like Texas knows what they want in barbecue. Right. I don't think you could would necessarily go down to Texas, but hey. You know, I'm going to do a brisket like this. You're yeah. going to probably get kicked out of it. You know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so not gonna take a fried brisket. Are you into that? You know. So. Yeah. Like, uh, hold on there, buddy. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, what is it like, though? Have you ever made a dish? I'm like, man, this is an amazing dish, but you couldn't get the presentation right. And it just kind of ruined it. Or how important oh, is the presentation to that? Uh, I mean, it's huge. You know, it's the. They say, like they say, you eat with your eyes first, right? So it, it's a big thing to get the presentation right. And it's that's probably been a big challenge for me going from working in ultra fine dining where it was all about that. I mean, obviously sure. flavors, but, you know, presentation was just gigantic to going into breweries, which is people care. They want to see great food. But at the same time, they're so relaxed and so chill and just having a good time. I don't know how much they notice certain aspects, you know, I don't know if you're getting rewarded all the time for it, but to me, there's, as I always tell all the cooks, there's still a right way and a wrong way to do everything. So we're going to do it the right way. We're going to make it the best we can make it. We're going to make it look the nicest we can, but also knowing, you know, our, our Charlotte tap room has 580 seats. So, wow. Yeah. You're cranking out food, man. It's it, the building's 28,000 square feet. We got offices and then the rest, I think it's 18,000 square feet of tap room. So, Holy crap. I didn't yeah. know that. That's oh, yeah. that dwarfs any brewery here in Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're pumping it out, you know, and so you got to find that. How do we make it look really nice without just, you know, obviously we're not using tweezers to play things or going crazy. So. Wow. I didn't realize a, a tap room was that big over there. Oh, yeah. now, got, now I, got now I have to come over there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I got to see it. Yeah. The biggest, their breweries here are growing. Obviously, it's a it's a couple of years behind, you know, the rest of the country. But um, Coop Ale Works, have you ever heard of them? No. Coop Ale Works is a, the biggest brewery in Oklahoma, probably by far. They're the first ones, I think, that really started packaging like 12 packs. Um, they really became a big deal. They're, they're the name brand kind of here. And uh, they just finally got um, the state and the city to sign off on this old uh, – National Guard Armory that's like right downtown oh, wow. next to the Capitol building. So imagine a hangar sized building for an that's armory. Cool. It's like on eight acres too. So it's just oh, massive wow. property uh, with a couple other buildings, perfect parking. Like they have an awesome space and they're going to kind of turn it into like a barrel room, tap room with some hotel rooms, pub, you know, private wow. meeting space and like their new, their new flagships that tap room and they finally got approved to do it. It's been a couple of years going now, but um, man, the drawings for it is cool. 
But now, I, now that you said that, I'm like, well, it's probably yeah, it's probably small compared to <laughs> yeah, ours. So in Charlotte, we have all of our tap rooms are named after the brand that they represent. Um, Charlotte being the exception, it's called Brewers of Four Thousand One Yancey, and it's because we all four breweries are in the same building, so we have forty taps. We're we're pouring in the whole company basically. Um, but the building was, I think, it was built in the forties, and it was like an old. Um, kind of like a cotton mill. And okay. so like when I, the first time I interviewed and saw it, it was busted concrete, just kind of starting to, they were just starting to take shape with the brewery side of things. Um, and what was cool is the, the old, the guy who had been, his family had owned it and had the business there for however many years. Um, he would come in and just like, Hey, can you take me around chef? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and show him around. He'd be like, my office was right there and we worked over here and, you know, now it's, there's a stove there. And, you know, so it's really cool to get to walk around with him and kind of get the history of it. But all the, the rafters, the windows on the ceiling, the skylights are all original from the forties. So it's, it's a really cool building. That is cool. That's super cool. Part, a little bit of history sprinkled in there with the, the kind of the vibe. I think is really cool. That's what's cool about breweries. They're, they're kind of an open canvas. You know, um, a lot of companies, you know, you never get to see back in the kitchen. You never get to see in the, in the, in the barrel room where they brew things. But, you know, craft breweries have this way of saying, you know, we don't really have anything to hide. Like, right. Why can't you sit right there next to it? Like, there's yep. one here in Oklahoma that you go to and they have picnic tables set up in the in the tap room but there's no walls dividing anything like there's the tap room and the bar there's picnic tables and then you're sitting right next to this i don't know what they're called these massive things that they're brewing you know beer in and the the canning lines over in the corner and like you know it's just and they're working you know yeah absolutely and it's just like wow this is this is really cool and they do brewery tours i mean when's the last time you saw chili's do a kitchen tour yeah. Well, I don't know if you want to, <laughs> you may not want to go back there. So good point. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like in Charlotte, we have uh, just a big, huge bar and you know, you're sitting at the bar bartender taps, and then it's just big glass panels with all the brewery right there. So you can see everything right behind it. You can see them working. Um, and all of our tap rooms, you can see all the brewing happening. It's all, you can see the canning line, same thing, you know, and I think that's a big part of breweries. People want that just communal aspect of it and yeah. you know drinking a beer and eating some food with your friends it's like the most family communal type thing you can do right so i think you, you get a lot of that that people want to see it they want to be a part of it yeah so let me ask you this what's your favorite dish to make like personal downtime you're, you're gonna you're gonna have something to eat you're gonna treat yourself what's your favorite dish um you know i always appreciate a great steak at home that is for sure but Probably a, a a great roasted chicken, which is sounds super chefy because all chefs are trained to say that at some point in their time, but it's true. Like a perfectly roasted chicken is just one of the greatest things on earth. Um, and then you know if I can get grill some fish or sear some fish with a big, especially summer, big tomato panzanella salad with fish on the side, I'm happy. That's mm. great for me. Mm. What's your uh, what's your favorite tool in the kitchen? Ooh, uh, so there was a chef, uh, passed away a couple years ago. His name was Greg Coons. K-U-N-Z was his last name. And when he was a chef back in the day in New York, yeah, he was at a restaurant called Les Panos. And quick, weird story. So my mentor worked at Les Panos 
Another guy I worked for, Floyd Cardoz, worked at Les Venos. Another guy, Ben Bonger, worked for Les Venos. I worked for all three of them, and they had all worked for each other at one point in time. And so Greg Coons, he started importing these spoons from, I think, Switzerland. And originally, they didn't have his name on them, and then eventually, they ended up having his name on them. But that was kind of the tool that everybody used. And my first job, Craig, the chef, was like, all right, you know, when you get off salad move to saute i give you a coon spoon that's kind of your this is your tool right it's your reward kind of um i use it all the time it's like an extension of my hand you know it's i can eat with it i can cook with it whatever right i can bang it on things to open stuff you know whatever (laughs) it's like my multi-tool spoon right and so i've done the same thing throughout my career i've given them to sous chefs as christmas gifts or whatever because it's just a to me it's a very personal tool that we have and, you know, I was kind of came up like I worked in a lot of kitchens in New York. You could have a coon spoon and a fish spatula. That was it. There were no tongs there. You did everything with a spoon. So unless you were like on a grill. But um, so I'm very proficient with a spoon, to say the least. And so that's it's kind of my baby. Yeah. And uh, I always joke, you know, something will happen. I won't be able to find it. And I'm like, all right. Everybody, stop what you're doing. I'm gonna find my spoon. <laughs> this is the most important thing in your job today: is finding my spoon. <laughs> yeah. I just learned how to really cook on cast iron. That oh, was iron. that was like that was kind of a game changer for me. Was uh, was cooking on cast iron, and I saw it because I was watching YouTube one of the one day. You know how you can go down a rabbit hole on YouTube, yep, and yep. next thing I know, I started looking at cooking videos. And next thing I know, Gordon Ramsay came on, and then Gordon Ramsay turned into some kind of master class that he was teaching, and it was about cast iron. And I was like, you know, I really liked the the last time I cooked on cast iron was like over a campfire on some old rusty cast iron that we right. put way too much oil in, you know, um, and he gave me like a, I watched this like 20 minute video over how he cooked a steak in a cast iron skillet. And I was like, that was awesome. And I tried it. I've never had a steak. I, I learned how to do it and perfected it so well that I can't eat a steak at a restaurant anymore. I figured out how I like it at home with the butter, with the sear. I like the New York strip. You know, I like to sear it, get it cooked a little bit to that medium rare, let it sit and rest sliced up potatoes, some asparagus, things like that. And then, you know, kind of drain the juices back in there and base it again with the hot butter. Like I figured it out. I figured out how to make my perfect steak. Now I can't eat it anywhere else. But it was cast iron that taught me that, you know, from Gordon Ramsay YouTube video. And it was like, you know, I was like, I always associated cast iron with camping, you know? Yeah. Like it wasn't that big of a thing. It's not that fancy. It doesn't really belong in a kitchen. No, it's the best thing I've ever bought for my kitchen. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I went to French culinary school and worked in a lot of French style kitchens and they always have, you know, it may not be the big, giant, heavy, clunky cast iron, but they have a thinner cast iron pan and we did everything in cast iron. It's, it's really, yeah. It conducts the heat. I mean, it's just, yeah, everything you want to do. And, you know, so many people are so scared of, oh, you can't use soap or you can't do this. And it's, it's all crazy, man. I I wash my cast iron pans and they're a hundred percent fine. And I use them all the time. Well, I, and I figured out how to do that, you know, use a really coarse salt. You can get in there and get some of that grime off of it. I mean, if you just take care of them, then, I mean, yeah, you can use soap. It lasts forever. It doesn't do anything to yeah. it. Now, now, my grandmother had a cast iron pan 
that she fried chicken and just about everything else in, but I don't think she ever washed it. Oh, yeah, probably not. But (laughs) best fried chicken I've ever had still to this day. Yep. And I'm pretty sure, you know, when COVID hit, I didn't get it nearly as bad because of the things I've ingested (laughs) over my life, especially from the unwashed cast iron (laughs) pan, drinking from the water hose. Like, I'm good. Absolutely. (laughs) I grew up in the 80s, man. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I get it. (laughs) I tell you, I don't know if you've ever, uh, I'm not a huge baker by any means, but I like to make biscuits. That's about as much baking as I appreciate doing. But um, biscuits in a cast iron pan, amazing. Really? So good. So good. I'm going to have to do that. Oh, that sounds so good. So last big question for you. What's it like being more on the business side of things? So, hey, we're going to open up a new tap room. You're taking on, you know, another another whole crew, another kitchen, another menu. Um, and like you said earlier, you know, they're not, they're 60, 40. They're not all the same. It's not cookie cutter. Um, what is it like being on a business side and it's more of a business decision and now the pressure's on? You know, it's, it's something I really love. Um, it's probably one of the aspects of my job that I love the most. Um, I love the fact that I still get to be creative, but one thing I always really kind of prided myself on and tried to do, even as coming up as a chef was learn the side the business side of things, because, you know, you got a lot of chefs that are super creative, way more talented than I ever was, but they only focus on that one aspect and you can quickly, right. If, if you're not making money, it doesn't matter how creative you are mm-hmm. right at the end of the day. And so I kind of saw that early in my career, like, you know, what, what set you apart a little bit. So I wanted to learn the inner workings of thing. And, I mean, it was the same thing in the army, right? I would, I would sit in on meetings with NCOs that I wasn't supposed to be sitting in on. And, you know, about halfway through my sergeant, be like, what are you doing in here, man? You're supposed to be like, I just want to know what's going on. Right. He knows. I want to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. I want to learn. I'll, I'll jump right in with you. Um, so getting to learn the business side more. And what's been really cool about this job is, you know, my boss has 30 plus years in the business He's done everything from owning restaurants to consulting to whatever. So really get to pick his brain a lot. Um, and just like now, one of my one of my side jobs or side responsibilities, I should say, is vendor relations. So I deal with our vendors. I work on a lot of contracts, things like that, um, which is really exciting for me because I love the aspect. I love the idea of, you know, business and just kind of learning all the ins and outs of it. And, you know, where's the money going? Where is it coming from? How does this work? Parts that you don't think about when you first start, you know, you first start cooking because it's it's your passion, right? Either either it's your passion or you love the adrenaline rush of it or whatever. And, you know, at some point you realize I don't want to stand next to a stove my entire life. Um, sure. Right. So I don't mind taking a break from that occasion. <laughs> but it's a, it's also a very different discipline to be able to sit in front of a computer when I've never sat for a job and say, all right, I have to create all this. I have to make this. I have to put this in terms that a line cook with no experience can read this recipe and understand what he's supposed to do. Um, you know, what, what he or she has to understand down to a T of what I'm asking of them. And uh, so taking that side of the business and really focusing on it has been, for me, it's been very rewarding. So I, I totally enjoy the business aspect of it all. Um, you know, when we first opened Charlotte, I was coming off of 
working with people that all kind of same like-minded understood everything. Mm-hmm. And when we first started hiring, we were hiring some really young cooks that not a lot of experience and I'm cool with that. I'll teach them whatever. And it's when I knew I was either really old and I should just retire or <laughs> out of touch or something. But I had a recipe written and I had a cook walk up to me and say, chef, what does one hashtag onion mean? And I was like, that's oh. a pound sign. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to just gonna rethink this for a while. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a tough one to learn. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right. By the way, your nickname is now hashtag, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so. Oh, man. That, that, yeah. would, that would be a tough, tough bullet to eat. Yeah. Right? I think it was, I want to say a year or so ago, one of my kids was cooking in the kitchen and they brought me a recipe card and they're like, what's LB period stand for? <laughs> like, well, it's like a pound. Yeah. Oh, well, what's a OZ? Like, is what is that? Like, you know, I had to explain to them the, the abbreviations and I was like, yeah, I can't believe you don't know this. Like, <laughs> no. but, but in a way it was like, okay, <clears throat> everything is written in acronyms for kids these days. So it, those could mean a million different things. Yeah, exactly. Oh, sometimes acronyms don't even mean what they really mean. It's an acronym. No. It just, <laughs> so I just picked it. Like, it's the weirdest thing. Yep. Um, yeah, it's so, a little bit like, how do you not know this? And then again, yeah. why would you know this? So, yeah. <laughs> so. so last uh, last thing. Let's, uh, what's next? What's uh, obviously opening up the 13th uh, tap room, but um, what's the, what's the long game? What's the big plan? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I, I really love where I am right now. Um, it took me a lot of years to get the corporate chef role that I was shooting for. Um, you know, I love everything about this job. It's probably one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. You know, for me, it's how do I how do I keep learning more about the business? You know, how do I get to where I could be asked a question that's not even necessarily in my realm, but understand it and have the answer, right? So that's that's a lot of what I focus on, obviously my responsibilities, but how do I branch out and learn what this side of the business is doing or what this side of the business, how do I, how do I become a part of that and help that side grow too? You know, so those are a lot of things I, I try to focus on and just listening and reading and constantly figuring it out, you know? Right on. So 13th uh, tap rooms opening soon. The 14th is going to open here in Oklahoma. If anybody from, uh, you know, our, artisanal brewing ventures is listening <laughs> hint hint you guys are gonna come yeah. here <laughs> I, will, I will i will see what our oklahoma plans are there but. you go <laughs> that's what i'm talking about <laughs> well chef it was a it was a pleasure um from one veteran to another thank you man appreciate you service and uh and you as well thanks for coming on and uh this was awesome man and uh anytime anytime you want to come on you want to chat to let me know give me a shout and of course you know uh if you ever need anything let me know love to by the way i'm about halfway through here these truths amazing book love it you like it oh man yeah. thank you so much There's so many so many great lessons in there man i, oh. I love leadership books in general and it's excellent